Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the OIS Podcast. This is your host, Tom Salemi. Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. We're going to talk glaucoma in just a few minutes with uh, Dr. Stephen Vold of Vold Vision. He's been uh, regular at OIS and involved in Glaucoma 360 earlier this year. And uh, we're going over some of the uh, advances that, uh, that are happening on glaucoma, including some, some interesting things uh, that uh, Stephen's particularly excited about. Talked a little bit about robotics, a little bit about drug delivery, and a little bit about baseball, which is a favorite of mine. But first, I just wanted to ask you to go to OIS.net. Look for our newest event, OIS at ASRS. We're beginning to put some information up there. We have a preliminary agenda. It's a a half-day event on August 8th, dedicated exclusively to the retina. And uh, I'm sure you will find it enjoyable. It's in in San Francisco right before the ASRS annual meeting. So go to OIS.net for the latest information on that event. And uh, now take a minute to uh, a few minutes to listen to this uh, great interview with Dr. Stephen Vold of Vold Vision. Dr. Stephen Vold, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. We've had the opportunity to talk a lot about uh, glaucoma lately. Uh, with with uh, the acquisition of, of Transcend a few weeks ago, glaucoma three hundred and sixty. There, there's just uh, so much going on in, in this specialty. Uh, is this, when you got into glaucoma, it clearly wasn't this exciting, but is this sort of something you had anticipated moving into this sector? Did you see a lot of room for, uh, for, for growth and for, for new technologies? You know, it's kind of funny that you asked that question because when I first started my residency uh, back in the mid, uh, uh, mid-90s, I remember thinking to myself, oh, there's one fellowship I'll never do, and that would be glaucoma. Uh, because at the time, uh, really, I thought the surgery was fairly primitive and the medications weren't that great. But then during my training, we came out with a lot of the newer medications at that time, latanoprost and brinzolamide and, and uh, dorzolamide, as well as barmonide came onto the market. And I was thinking to myself, you know, we really have an opportunity to uh, potentially transform how glaucoma care is, uh, is uh, being practiced. And so that was actually one of the drawing cards for me is I thought, well, we're going to have a chance to really impact the field. And uh, now, obviously, I couldn't foresee exactly what all was going to happen and how exciting it has become. But uh, I have to tell you, I'm extremely grateful that I made the decision to go into glaucoma. And, and really, I anticipate that we're really at the tip of the iceberg in this regard. Yeah, I mean, what do you see looking out 10 years? I mean, we will obviously hopefully see some adoption of, of the various MIGS devices that we'll, we hope will be approved over the next couple of years, which will complement uh, Glaucus's offering. But 10 years from now, do you, do you, are, are you anticipating the introduction of technologies that will continue to amaze us then? You know, I really do. I, I think there's a very good chance that some of these new microinvasive glaucoma surgeries will really continue to evolve. Uh, we'll be intervening earlier and earlier in disease to, as far as the surgical side. But I also think drug delivery is another area that is very exciting, and I think uh, we're going to actually be able to give people, whether it's an implant or uh, something that's placed on the surface of the eye, uh, a way to uh, maintain good glaucoma control uh, using a more sustained drug delivery system. And then, of course, there's going to be new drugs that come along the way. And one class of drugs that I, I really hope hits the way is that uh, we've seen it work in uh, some of the animal models, 
but uh, wouldn't it be nice if we could actually come up with a truly neuroprotective uh, uh, a compound that was outside of the scope of, of lowering intraocular pressure? The, the microinvasive surgery is fascinating, and this is the we've seen in other specialties the use of robotics, and there's been talk of robotics sort of entering ophthalmology. Uh, one company was supposedly interested, now I'm told they're not. But do you see a future for robotics in ophthalmology? You know, it's it's uh, it's interesting you mention that. Uh, you know, the thing about robotics, at least in in uh, general surgery and some of these others, it, it really kind of replaces the hands. Uh, there's no question we're going to have more automated devices. Uh, but when you think about robotics, at least I think of a little bigger devices, and so um, I think some of this is going to be on more of the micro uh, level, and so it's really a more of a nanotechnology that I think will be more automated. So I do think we're going to have things like that. And in fact, I've been um, you know, working with devices that potentially could re- replace sutures in uh, ophthalmology just by having kind of an almost an auto suture or a little micro clip that we can place instead of a suture. So, so I definitely think those sort of technologies are going to be available, and and also I think there's going to be alternative uh, types of uh, ways to remove the cataracts, and uh, certainly the lenses are getting better. So I, I think uh, it's going to be very fun to watch how um, really uh, we're going to be able to enhance people's vision in ways that uh, we never, ever thought possible. It used to be we thought that 2020 was good vision. I actually think with uh, some of the newer devices I've been working with, including the light-adjustable lens, we're going to be able to get people better than 2020 vision. We're going to get better uh, intraocular pressure control with a lot of these newer glaucoma devices. And so my hope is we can intervene earlier and give people long-standing glaucoma control. Maybe Major League Baseball better ban these things now rather than later if you can uh, give everyone Ted give everyone Ted Williams' eyesight. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's actually true. I mean, it's it's really been kind of funny because, as you know, in, in sports, especially in baseball, they, a lot of these major leaguers, they really do see better than 2020. And, and, um, and I think as uh, we go along, uh, even the refractive procedures that our young people uh, really want or millennials want to have, they're all of a sudden they're going to be wanting things that, uh, certainly exceed what they would be able to see in contact lenses or glasses. And, and I see just looking at your website that you're actually, uh, you're a sponsor of the, of the Razorbacks, the official, I think, eye care provider of the Razorbacks and a, a local baseball team, it looks like, down there. How did that relationship come together and, and how does that work? Uh, you know, we we enjoy being part of the community. That's a, a big deal to us. And so uh, in our area, especially in the state of Arkansas, we don't have a professional uh uh, sports uh, franchise, and so uh, being part of the Razorbacks is is a it's really a, a tremendous privilege, and we have really enjoyed uh, being part of uh, supporting the university, and that's been a big deal. And then we're fortunate also to have the Northwest Arkansas Naturals here, and uh, they're the Double A baseball team for the World uh, Series winning uh, Kansas City Royals, and so we've had a chance to to be a participant with that as well. And for us, it's uh, just a lot of fun, an opportunity to meet and help people, and uh, also a way to uh, to support our, our local uh, local teams i'll take double a baseball all day long it's a great a great take but do, do speaking to your comment before about younger people moving toward eye care is there a greater awareness of eye, eye care maintenance amongst young athletes uh, either in college or young professionals well, we're still working hard to make that happen. Believe it or not, there's you know a lot of uh, ophthalmic training techniques that are available now, and and clearly, I, I think for especially in some sports, baseball you mentioned, but I also think you know a lot of uh, 
uh, football and basketball, hand-eye coordination is a big deal. Now, unfortunately, I can't make you hit a curveball better. Uh, but what we can do is optimize the quality of vision you have. And, and certainly for athletes that wear contact lenses or glasses, uh, it, it potentially can be a big deal for them to uh, to be able to see better uh, but also get out of their contacts or, or glasses. We're going to take this quick break from this conversation with Steve Vold to remind you to go to ois.net. In addition to checking out information about OIS at ASRS, you'll want to sign up for the Eye on Innovation newsletter so you will get our original reporting, our podcasts, and our video reports sent directly to your inbox. So go to ois.net to sign up for the Eye on Innovation newsletter. Now back to this conversation. And, and I know you, you uh, in addition to performing surgery and, and, and treating patients, you're, you, you seem to enjoy writing the, the chief medical editor of glaucoma, and I know that comes with, with many different duties, but on your website, I see a lot of papers you've written uh, about MIGS, which we can get into in a second, but also about pra- practice management. That seems to be something you give a lot of attention to, and you had written one piece about the Arab and eye care system and sort of the lessons we could learn from that. What was, what was your takeaway from, from studying Arabin? You know, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, I think, uh, as you know, uh, cost of healthcare is a very big deal, and and so practice efficiency is is very important. And when you look at the Indian healthcare system, especially Aravit, uh, it's, it's a great story about a basically a retired ophthalmologist who started what is now the largest ophthalmic uh, eye hospital in the world, and uh, they they produce not only you know good surgery, but uh, and very efficient surgery, but they produce intraocular lenses that are very comparable to uh, uh, things that are on the market here in the United States, but at a fraction of the cost of what uh, we're able to get them here in the United States. And so, to me, we can learn a lot. We know in the United States uh, we're really working to lower health care costs because it's, it's become such a large part of our, our GDP. And uh, uh, and so one of the things that I, I really feel like uh, – uh, in uh, as, as somebody who started his own practice here in 2011, I want to make my practice as much cash pay as I possibly can and be independent of some of the uh, the challenges facing us with insurances. But also, I really want us to be more efficient and effective so that uh, hopefully we can give more cost-effective care to our patients as well. Does the arrival of technologies like, like MIGS uh, pull you back into the, the, the payer world? You know, that's a good question. Uh, I, there's no question that uh, um, I, would, I would say to some degree that that's true. And is that a concern or is that it's obviously you're able to treat more patients and that's a great thing. Um, but is, is that something that you weigh in your mind, this or that? Well, you know, for me, it's all about giving patients the best optimal care. And so uh, the one thing I do, you know, miss when you – the problem with efficiency sometimes is you lose the ability to connect with patients as much as I like. I'm a relationship kind of guy, and so I really enjoy getting to know my patients. The one thing I like about glaucoma is they do come back after we, we treat them, so a lot of times I get to know them over time. Um, but there's no question when uh, when things are – you know, efficiency is such a big part of how we need to practice today – I think we lose a little bit of that, and I think it's uh, you know we see that sometimes with the litigious nature of of healthcare, unfortunately, these days. But uh, for me, uh, I've, I've learned if I treat people like a friend and uh, treat them how I want to be treated, uh, generally things work out pretty well for me in the end. And, and staying on the MIGS theme, I, I saw I think it was a couple of years ago you might have speaking, spoken at Glaucoma 360 just about the, the 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 companies that were sort of leading the way in MIGS, and you 
identified four of them. You had Glaucos, obviously, Aquasis, Transcend, and InFocus was the fourth one. We've seen three of them either go public or be acquired. Uh, do you see, you know, is there room for, is, is there a home out there, do you think, for InFocus as a, as a clinician? Do you see a provider out there who is, would be looking for a, a property, not that company in particular, but for MIGS properties? And, and, and do you see this consolidation uh, as, a, as a positive for the, uh, for the glaucoma sector? Well, I think you know having the financing of these bigger companies all certainly makes it a as um, uh, probably a positive for uh, the glaucoma patient. I really think someone like Alcon or Novartis, when they acquire a company like Transcend, they're going to make this really truly part of the fabric of how we we take care of our glaucoma patients. And and I really think Glaucos has done a remarkably good job of of really uh, creating a market in this regard and and uh, helping patients uh, uh, and really doctors understand how important it is to treat glaucoma early and that we have some really good options now that we haven't had in the past. So I'm very bullish on what we're doing in this field. Uh, how it all will, you know, translate long term, I'm not sure. Finances and uh, and how this is going to be paid for, I think, are things that are yet to evolve. But to me, uh, this is something that for glaucoma patients, we are definitely providing a significant uh, step up in care from my perspective. And final question, uh, in 2011, you had created a venture called Ocunetics that uh, was acquired fairly quickly, but it sounds like that there's uh, there's been some progress in that area of late. Could you bring us up to date on what Ocunetics was, what the technology did, and, and what might be happening in the near future? Yeah, as you know, uh, it's really kind of focused on wound closure, and so what we've kind of developed is, is some, really a little micro-staple something, uh, or a little clip that we can use to close the cornea, the conjunctiva, um, also the sclera as well, and uh, this is something that uh, really can uh, be very helpful in uh, uh, helping uh, um, Surgeons uh, closed tissue in a very effective and, and actually more efficient fashion. It's also more reproducible. So uh, people that with surgeons, especially with uh, newer surgeons who are not trained to to do a lot of suturing that was done previously with cataract surgery, uh, this is something that's going to make it much more efficient. And I think also in underdeveloped uh, countries, it's something that uh, could also be really helpful for people that are non-surgeons to be able to help closed tissue, whether it's from an injury. Or, you know, what we're doing right now is actually using it in the, the setting of a, a trabeculectomy uh, in animals. And so we're really hope, excited about the possibility of bringing this to humans very, very quickly in, in a 510K protocol. So it's uh, exciting times ahead. Excellent. Well, Dr. Volt, thanks for joining us on the podcast. My privilege. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, Stephen Volt, for joining us on the OIS podcast. It was a real pleasure to have you here great glaucoma talk great baseball talk and uh, as i said i'll take double a baseball all day long so thanks to our listeners for joining us very happy to have you here as well and we certainly hope to see you at our upcoming ois at asrs it's uh, happening on august 8th in san francisco go to ois.net we'll be updating that agenda as we uh, confirm speakers and uh, we'll be going over uh, some of the uh, the speakers and the content in upcoming OIS podcasts. So stay tuned. Go to OIS.net to register, and we will see you in San Francisco.